0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. I started this podcast for a very simple reason. You can find podcasts on pretty much any topic, but I wasn't aware of any that were focused on public service leaders. So rather than wait for somebody else to do it, I decided to give it a try. I wanted to give public service leaders a platform to tell their stories, to talk about the reforms and innovations they put in place, and to share lessons in leadership. I think this will be particularly interesting for current and future public service leaders, but a lot of the lessons are more broadly applicable. So I hope you enjoy it, and please remember to register on the website to never miss a future episode. This episode I speak to Ade Adetsoye, who is the Chief Executive of the London Borough of Bromley. As you can imagine, COVID-19 provides a lot of the backdrop for our discussion, but we talk about Ade's ideas for a new relationship between public services and communities, and that's very much about the council and public services in general, tapping into capacity within communities in the form of volunteers and community organisations. We talk about how the council and the NHS have worked very closely together during the pandemic, As a former director of children's services, Ade is really well-placed to comment on the impact that the COVID-19 crisis will have on children, particularly vulnerable children. And finally, Ade was recently highly commended in the MJ awards chief executive category. And this is primarily for his work on the transforming Bromley program, which has included turning around the Bromley children's services department from inadequate and also turning a 32 million deficit into a balanced budget. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Ade, you're very welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. Most people in the local government world will certainly know who you are, but for those who don't, can you just briefly introduce yourself, please?
1: Thank you, Andrew. Um, as I said, Ade, Ade sorry, uh currently Chief Executive uh, in the London Borough of Bromley, uh, been in my role as Chief Executive for two years. Um, prior to that, uh, worked uh, in Bromley for two years as the deputy chief executive. Uh, in the same uh, context, I um, speak as the lead policy officer for Solace, and also uh, involved in a number of cross-cutting programmes um, as we go through the uh, pandemic in London, and also um, are doing some work nationally on our response to the uh, COVID uh, pandemic.
0: Um, and I want to get straight into the COVID-19 response because you've obviously been leading a London borough through this crisis with all of its complexities. What has that been like?
1: Uh, I think it's been absolutely challenging, Andrew, uh, to say um, um, and to be very clear about this. Uh, in the context of COVID-19 pandemic, for example, uh, probably like uh, many of local authorities have faced a number of challenges in keeping our residents safe and well. Uh, but I think, for me, on a personal note, it's important again to, uh, to recognise the work of our frontline staff, who clearly have been uh, mobilised to support our residents in the last uh, ten months. Uh, and part of what they've been doing, Andrew, just to quickly go through, um, setting up uh, the test centres for our residents. Um, so in Bromley, uh, we do have two LFT centres, and at the same time, uh, we're currently working with the NHS to mobilise the new vaccination centre. Um, so it's been rewarding, I must say, but at the same time very challenging.
0: Um, so what do you anticipate the key changes will be following COVID?
1: Uh, I think for me, Andrew, um, the key lessons uh, for us as public salons um, are the back of the pandemic and in the last 10 months or so. Uh, three key points for me in terms of what I see uh, changing in my own local authority and perhaps in public sector. Uh, firstly, the solution uh, for me is not about doing more of the same. I think we need to forge a new relationship and forge a contract between the delivery of public services and our residents. Uh, just really to expand on these, that we have to go back to the basic principles of identifying the core needs of our service users and how this shapes our response. So the role of the state for me, uh, post the pandemic, is to ensure that safeguards are in place for all the services we provide, um, so that the starting point about the needs of our interviewers and, and our communities is about listening to what they've got to say. The, the second for me is that we cannot rely on the technical solutions um, that we rely on um, in uh, currently and in the cost of what we do. Uh, It's about recognising the capacity and tapping into the capabilities of our own communities. Um, So in Bromley, for example, we had 4,000 plus volunteers, Uh, we mobilised by 1,100 of them um, supporting our residents. And I think there is definitely mileage in thinking through how we can actually support our volunteers post the pandemic and actually involve them in the delivery of adult social care and how we provide services to the community. And the, the last bit for me, uh, Andrew, is to recognise that we are in public services, uh, an asset that we clearly need to uh, draw from. And I'll say this in the context of our local residents in the way they've been able uh, to stand tall and our volunteers in in the way they've been able to support uh, the delivery of public services uh, in the in the context of this pandemic.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned there the 4,000 volunteers. How was that organised, or how did you mobilise those people?
1: Yeah, I think, again, Andrew, we set up an application form on the council website, uh, for residents to register online, um, and at the same time, highlighting any particular skills and the experience that they've got, uh, we, in the same way, set up the volunteer assistance programme, uh, which again allows residents who are shielding, self-isolating, or additional uh, where residents prefer or need additional support from a volunteer. Uh, what we did through our website was really to galvanize our own uh, residents uh, to come forward, but at the same time to encourage um some of the other residents requiring support uh, through one of my officers. Uh, the matching process in terms of linking uh, volunteers uh, were resident was actually one of the key key benefits for us in Bromley in mobilising the 1100 or so uh, uh, public uh, members of the public that actually supported us through the pandemic. So it was actually very slick, uh, but yeah. definitely something that we wouldn't have done um, prior to the pandemic.
0: And this uh, engagement with people and communities. Um, as across the country has really accelerated, do you think that 's indicative of a of a broader shift away possibly from the formal public sector to communities and and if so, what will that look like in practice in the future
1: um, I, I think so andrew uh, the The two key things for me is that uh, not just in Bromley but within public service aids, we can now demonstrate the value added of our own wider communities and volunteers in providing services um, um, and complementing, I should say, what we provide within statutory um, adult social care, for example. Um, And I think, post the pandemic, like Bromley and other local authorities, uh, we'll really see the benefits in terms of what can we actually do to rearrange how we provide services uh, to include our volunteers. What can we do in terms of redesigning our own services uh, to complement the additional support that volunteers can actually bring. So I really personally see these as as the key fundamental change. And one of the key lessons that we'll take away from the pandemic, and knowing fully well, Andrew, that the real cost, for example, in adult social care, is one that we've relied in the past on informal carers uh, for our residents, but I think the pandemic for me Uh, does actually demonstrate that there is more mileage and we can actually continue uh, to really expand on that.
0: And how much of that is organic, as in people just coming forward, wanting to help? And how much of it do you feel will need to be coordinated and driven by the council as the main public service in the area?
1: Yeah, I think, Andrew, I think it comes from both directions. Uh, we will always have local mobilisation uh, through Mutra aid groups, uh, which is integral uh, part to us delivering long term community led uh, programmes. However, I think it's important to continue to maintain the momentum. Um, for example, we get in Bromley, uh, we've got 42 different friend groups. Um, And as I said, we're over 3,000 or so active residents who are engaged on a day on a range of issues on a day to day basis from supporting us with the parks, maintaining our streets, and also supporting us with highways. So, for me, the coordination is important, and I think the real capacity um, that we put in at the back of COVID uh, is actually one that will continue in terms of really mobilizing. Uh, residents to continue to stay involved in the delivery of public services. Um, So I see it as uh, coming from uh, both directions, uh, to be honest.
0: And do you think that COVID and the experience of communities dealing with COVID has changed people's mindsets? Because I think traditionally a lot of people might have felt that there was stuff that the public sector did and that wasn't my job as a member of a community, but do you think that people's mindsets are now changed to be more willing to come forward and and help
1: absolutely and very i think it takes a village uh, to care and bring up a child which um, yeah. is one of the uh, proverbs um, or um, in the in the context of child care um, and I'm beginning to really see these and very in terms of our clarity around the understanding of what we do in public services uh, by residents. Absolutely important on the back of COVID. Uh, For a number of residents in the past, they wouldn't even come near local government, um, apart from uh, waste collection and perhaps education. Uh, But I think what people can now see is that real added value of what we do in local government. Um, I'm really recognising that everybody has a role Uh, in supporting um, our residents Um, and I think that's really the turning point uh, for me uh, whereby the the role of the public uh, in the delivery of public services is one that we clearly uh, in local government uh, need to welcome.
0: And so if you're moving to that model of involving communities a lot more how do you ensure the balance in terms of participation so it's not just what you might call the usual louder voices.
1: Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, I think it comes back again to partnership working. Um, So in the context of Bromley, uh, where we got one of the very active uh, voluntary sector providers uh, responsible for coordinating our 300 plus uh, voluntary sector providers in Bromley, and uh, one of the key, th- key things that they do really well is actually reaching out uh, to the uh, different age groups in Bromley um so in the context of covid uh, we had uh, young uh, teenagers um, and young adults um aged 20 plus uh, yeah. volunteering at the same time we had uh, uh, some of our residents over the age of age of um 6 of five, 70 volunteering Um, So I think our own approach is really to welcome uh, anyone who's able to contribute to public service delivery, but been able to recognise their own skills as well. Um, So in terms of the um, uh, distribution of PPE, uh, for example, some of our younger age group uh, were actually interested in moving boxes around and actually working in the warehouse, as opposed to some of our uh, elderly residents, who were very comfortable um, offering uh, be- be- befriending services to our residents and delivering prescriptions, for example. Um, so I think, you know, there is a role for everybody. Um, and our current strategy probably allows everyone to be involved.
0: That's really interesting, actually. And in some of the areas we work with and all of them, in fact, they talk about community assets, but they're not normally thinking about people. When they talk about community assets, and I think it's really interesting the way that, that you're talking there about identifying skills and identifying where people want to help because people are the most valuable assets of an area. I, I want to move on just to talk a little bit about how you've worked with the NHS and with other local partners. Now, at the time of recording here, uh, vaccinations are moving into top gear, as it were. So what's the experience been like in Bromley?
1: Thank you again, Andrew, for these. I think my take on these is the relationship between the local authority and our colleagues in the NHS in Bromley superb. Um, prior to uh, the pandemic, for example, uh, we've actually gone Bromley a Borough Partnership Forum that I chair, uh, which again brings together all the senior leaders from the police, fire brigade, health and social care, education, voluntary sector, including the NHS. Um, and I think through the uh, partnership forum, even prior to COVID, uh, it was actually easy uh, to work on cross-cutting is- issues in Bromley. Um, so a good example of one of the key things that we did as a result of the work in the partnership board uh, was actually to um, have one GP practice, for example, uh, leading in supporting all our residents in Cairns and Nottingham's so this again was prior to COVID and the thinking there was in terms of GP practices, what can we as a partnership do in terms of ensuring um, that our residents in Aussie homes and residential homes are getting the right services? And through the partnership board, uh, one of the ideas that we worked on I was actually say, wouldn't it be great to have one single GP practice uh, for all our residents in residential nursing homes? The benefit of this, Andrew, is that when the pandemic um, arrived, I should say, Uh, It was actually easy for us uh, to really mobilise the partnership support uh, to our own care homes, to residential homes because of two reasons. One, uh, we had systems in place. We had GP practices who were very clear uh, in terms of supporting care homes and residential homes. And what that did uh, for us in Bromley was the infection control um, uh, uh, process, for example, was much easier for colleagues in public health to really... Uh, Focus on. And the second thing, again, post pandemic, going back to your question on vaccination, um, is that because we've actually got the uh, partnership in place, again, in terms of mobilizing the vaccination of our elderly uh, residents uh, in care homes and nursing homes, uh, was actually a very, um, very easy uh, task for us. Um, So to date, uh, we've vaccinated over 85% to 90% of all the uh, residents in care homes and in our nursing homes. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, uh, we've actually started the vaccination of um, other residents, uh, age 70 and above, not in care homes or residential homes. And I think this is a gain as a result of the strong partnership. One of the key things just Andrew, that I'm currently working on uh, with colleagues in the NHS and we've got a meeting this afternoon is that in the council um, civic offices, uh, we're actually going to open a new mass vaccination centre uh, okay. in two weeks' time, um, whereby the delivery of those, again, will be led by clinicians in the NHS. Uh, by the same time, going back to what I said earlier on around volunteers, supported by 40 to 50 volunteers uh, helping us in terms of um, safety um, and really making sure that our residents experience um, a good... Um, uh, a good customer service uh, when they come into the civic uh supported as well by 40 or so um lbb staff um so it's real true partnership with the nhs obviously jabbing people in terms of the yep. uh, with the volunteers actually mobilizing people um, really supporting our reception staff marshalling people when they come into the civic center um, and really enabling the 40 or so members of staff uh, from Bromley who are also going to be supporting the mass vaccination centre over 12 hours every day, seven days a week. Um, so it's about true partnership.
0: That's incredible. No, that's really impressive. And I think as a as a country, this certainly feels like one of the things that we've got really right and should be really proud of. Um, so just speaking about public services more generally, then. Have you had to reorganise public services at all in response to COVID? Have you organised services into community hubs or anything like that? Or um, how how has that worked?
1: Yeah, I I think you're right, Andrew. I think in the context of Bromley, one of the key things that I had to do with my leadership team uh, was really to reflect on the capacity needed uh, to support our residents. So what we did... Uh, clearly was not to furlough any members of our staff, uh, but we actually used the business continuity plan uh, to identify some of the key services that can still be provided but at a reduced service. So part of what we did, of course, uh, was to mobilise those members of staff to the frontline support of um, the pandemic, Uh, Just going back to what I said earlier on, um, so most of our volunteers, in terms of our own staff, uh, were actually um, um, uh, chosen uh, because they clearly wanted to support our residents. And at the same time, uh, because we took away some uh, work uh, from them uh, as a way of actually supporting our residents. Uh, We didn't improperly go through any um, HR staffing consultation issues, um, at all because the staff came forward uh, because they had a real sense in terms of public service ethos and purpose and really wanted to support us. Um, so the the, the real realignment real that we did was more internal, uh, allowing staff the space and time to come into work on a Saturday or Sunday. And going back to the point I made earlier on in terms of the mass vaccination centre, uh, really recognising that some staff will be working on Saturdays and Sundays and they will not need to come into work for two days during the week. Um, so we've been very flexible in terms of our approach in bombing.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really impressive. And do you think that this new way of working, is that something that can be locked in or is it simply a response to a crisis and you would try and get back to more business as usual? Or what's your, your plan for the future?
1: Yeah, I think that there is a real appetite to lock in the uh, improvements made uh, in in terms of information sharing and partnership sharing and working for the longer term. We've actually seen the key benefits of what we've been doing in the last uh, 10 months of COVID. Um and I think personally, in the context of health and social care integration, we've been able to break down um, the organisational barriers uh, in the space of several months. Um, that have been long-standing, um, as you and I know. Um, so whilst we recognise we still have some additional challenges uh, post-COVID in terms of pulling on budgets and how we jointly commissioned services, and even our response to the uh, pandemic has actually shown us that we can actually work more effectively um, as a partnership and we can actually deliver things together. Um, so I look forward to the future. Uh, the pandemic has actually brought uh, different Organisations together, and I think you know we've very good at what we've been doing, uh, to be honest. Yeah.
0: So, Ade, you're, you're a former director of children's services, and many people have been warning about the challenge ahead for children's services when we emerge fully out of lockdown. What is the shape of that challenge, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I worry uh, to be candid um, about this um, in a society whereby safeguarding our most vulnerable children. Uh, is actually paramount. I worry in the sense that some of the key agencies uh, overseeing the uh, protection and safety of our children are not actually active at this stage. And I actually worry that uh, for kids missing education, uh, what are the long-term damages um is going to have um, um, on them? A worry as well, uh, in the context of um, some of the protective factors uh, whereby child in school, um, any issues of concerns will be picked up by teachers, um, that's not there at this stage. A worry as well, that some of our colleagues, again, not in uh where because of the restrictions on travelling on visits, have not been able to see some of our most vulnerable children during the pandemic. And I actually worry about the own uh, mental health of our children, uh, and I worry um, really in terms of what uh, we are going to face uh, post-COVID. Um, so one of the key issues in Bromley, uh, we've been very clear that we'll continue uh, to visit our children. Um, our staff, um, again wearing full PPE, uh, would go and visit um, children who uh, we're worried about. Um, and I think as a society, uh, we absolutely need to uh, begin to think about how um, local systems will respond uh, to what I see as an increase in referral rates post-lockdown. Yeah. In in typical local authorities getting about 400 referrals a month. Um, again, I'm very, without exaggerating, I can actually see the 400 uh, referrals per month uh, going to about 1200 or so. Um, wow the real uh, protective factors um, that we've actually been using uh, in partnership with our providers and other uh, substitute partners are no longer there. So I'm I'm extremely worried about what we are going to see uh, in terms of the landscape for children's services uh, post the pandemic.
0: Yeah, that's a potential tripling in Referrals. I mean, how, in a, in a practical sense, can you deal with that? And I'm sure that concern and that expectation is, sh- is probably shared across the country.
1: Indeed. Uh, I think the, the key uh, point for me, Andrew, on this, is to actually encourage local government. Carry on doing what you're doing. Carry on uh, visiting your most vulnerable children. Uh, encourage and empower your staff uh, to do uh, visits, uh, of course, with PPE and um, encourage um, agencies um, to refer in, uh, regardless of any uh, issues or concerns they've got, and uh, let's actually keep the system up and running, let's keep the system going. Um, so my take on this, Andrew, that if this is actually done really well, then instead of actually getting that real uh, surge in referrals within the first week or two post-pandemic, you probably have an increased um, uh, risk um, referral rates, which again, most local authorities should be able to manage. I'm um, yeah. again in Bromley, of a paper going to members, uh, whereby you know we might need uh, even for a temporary period uh, increased capacity uh, within our frontline staff. Um, so a good example uh, when we are the um, the gap between the first and the second lockdown, um, are to put in additional. Uh, nine uh, or so members of staff uh, really to help to deal with the increase that we saw in the far ranks uh, just for that period. Um, so I'm expecting the same process to be repeated uh, post um, this lockdown. Uh,
0: so I, I want to note as well uh, that you were commended in the MJ awards in the chief exec category and that's, you know, congratulations for that. And that, that was largely around your leadership of the Transforming Bromley programme. Could you just say a little bit about that, please?
1: Uh, f- thank you, Andrew, and, and thank you uh, to colleagues uh, that nominated me, um, again, as Riley said, uh, highly commended uh, by um, um, through the awards. So Transforming Bromley um, is actually two parts. So when I came to Bromley, um, the Children's Services Department was actually inadequate uh, by our regulators, Ofsted, uh, was actually seen as one of the worst in the country. Um, and through the Transforming Bromley roadmap for children's services, for example, I was able, uh, with the support of my leadership team and with support from staff, to set out exactly what we were going to do, uh, really to move children's social care from being inadequate to good to outstanding. Um, I was very clear in terms of Transforming Bromley, of the key steps that we'll be taking collectively, uh, you know, with our own frontline staff, with residents, uh, to turn around um a fairly uh children's overseas department. The long and short of these is that eighteen months uh post-Ofsted actually uh classifying Bromley as inadequate, uh we actually turn it around uh by moving from inadequate uh, to good outstanding uh within eighteen months. So again uh, from what Offset said, uh, it's the quickest turnaround they've ever seen of a failing local authority. Uh, just really to give you a, a perspective, Andrew, a uh, turnaround would normally take about three or four years on average. Yeah. Uh, and I think the real dedication of our staff to get it right for our children uh, was actually one of the key points in terms of uh, the transformation agenda. Uh, really to actually say that we had a shared commitment of keeping our children safe Uh, a shared commitment in terms of our values to get it right. Um, And I absolutely was absolutely uh, delighted uh, with the work of frontline staff, social workers, managers, in really focusing on the key aspects of transforming properly for children's services. So it's a fundamental review of um, services in terms of what we provide our children, um, a review of our structures, a review of the packages of support uh, to children, um, a review of all our processes including IT um, support, uh, a review of uh, things that Ofsted actually found us wanting for uh, pre my time uh, in Bromley and I think you know the transforming Bromley piece was actually addressing all those issues. The second part which is now a wider uh, transformation program Andrew uh, which I'm sure that's the key relevance of the question new raised, was a four-year transformation program. So when I came in post in uh, December uh, uh, 19, uh, sorry, 2019, uh, I should say, two years ago. (laughs) Time time is flying quickly. (laughs) Two years ago. Well, one of the key commitments I made to the organization was to transform uh, Bromley. Um, And the context being that in terms of all the um, challenges around public sector finances, was to ask the fundamental question of the organisation. What are the key things that we might need to do differently? What are the things that we need to transform together? And what are the key things that we might need to really focus on over a four-year period? And the real question, though, was let's actually not go with the easy option. Um, and people said well, what was the easy option, uh, which is um, our staff redundancy and uh, which I did not want to go along the uh, pathway. So two years ago, the budget deficit in Bromley was about three two $32 two million. $2 million. Um, part of what we had to do in terms of transforming Bromley uh, was really to focus on the key issues around what are the key things in terms of changes. How we provided housing, changes. How we delivered adult social care, fundamental changes around children. Some of things mentioned. And I'm really focusing on the environment and on a services. So through Transforming Bromley, uh sets up about six, seven different work streams, uh, including frontline staff, managers yep. and editors, really asking the key questions, what do we need to do differently and how do we actually transform our services? To give a quick example, Andrew, so uh, two years ago we were spending quite a lot of money on homelessness in terms of supporting homeless families in Bromley. Um, and part of what came out from the Transforming Bromley group, for example, uh, we took the view that we were going to um, spend quite a lot of time on modular housing units. Um, yes. so instead of actually waiting for a traditional build for three four years to be ready, uh, we actually gave a commitment through Transforming Bromley to build up to a thousand uh, um, modular units, which again, will help us from moving our homeless families from temporary accommodations, nightly paid um, 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 units to actually have in their own homes Um and by so doing I'm very aware we're able to make significant savings so part of this was actually asking the key questions what do we change and if you get the change right then it's easier for the money to follow um, so that's just one example in housing yep. um, and the second part was really asking uh, colleagues in terms of adult social care What do we need to do differently in the way we provide services? So we spend quite a lot of money and time, energy and resources on um, direct payments, really empowering residents to manage their own care themselves, as opposed to having a centralised brokerage function, uh, which again uh, really would not be empowering to our residents. And through that, again, uh, we were able to change the delivery of our services, and the net result uh, was also making some key savings as well. So the long shot of these two years down the line, uh, we've actually moved from a 32 million uh, budget deficit uh, to having a balanced budget uh, um, in 2021-22, 20, and a balanced budget as well in 2022-23. But despite that, does really stop us from actually carrying on uh, with the transforming from the agenda. And one of the key things, Andrew, that we're currently working on is actually transforming um, probably through um, IT in terms of digital transformation. Um, the use of um, artificial intelligence, you know, what, what is that going to give us in terms of that space? And that's the piece that we're currently working on.
0: The artificial intelligence angle is really interesting. Can you just very briefly give me an idea of what types of areas you're exploring that in?
1: Yeah, absolutely the case, Andrew. Um, So we've actually now at the first um, digital conference uh, because of all the social distancing um, attended uh, by over 200 colleagues um, through uh, Teams or Zoom. Um, We invited providers from across the field uh, really to show us how artificial intelligence can actually be used in the delivery of public services. Um, What came out from the conference in December last year uh, we've set up two groups, um, again, made up of frontline staff, managers and directors, really going through our own business processes. So two quick examples in the last two months. Uh, in adult social care, uh, we're currently looking at um, the use of AI um, in uh, in um, assisted technology, uh, which again allows our residents uh, not to rely on Um, somebody coming in every hour to check on them, but empowering them uh, to actually say you can actually use the IT system, uh, centrally coordinated, uh, to seek help at any time. Um, So again, uh, giving that power back to our residents uh, through the use of iPads, uh, which again, in very simple technology, allows them uh, really to have a direct telephone contact if they wish to, without even making use of a telephone, uh, but really um, connecting um, directly with the care providers, with their own care managers, with the local authority in very simple ways. That's one example. Um, in other ways, again, in our children's services, uh, we're beginning to use uh, the actual uh, AI. um through early earlier days uh, to really think about some of the... Um, families that we work with, that we currently work with, what are the key ways in terms of our interve- intervention? What are the key things that AI might actually help us uh, to understand about some of these families? too early days, but we've actually got a long list of things that we're currently considering.
0: Yeah, I think it's really impressive that you're engaging with that because it's clearly where things are heading, not just in public services, but more generally. Um, I want to ask you quickly just about the role of central government versus local government. So this crisis has unfortunately exposed some of the tension between the role of central government versus the role of local government. Where do you think those tensions have been most acute?
1: Yeah, I I think, Andrew, just for me again, that there is a wider um, understanding from colleagues in central government that the context in which we work, i.e., local government, is important in the delivery of key issues um, at the back of the pandemic. Okay, just really to expand on this so, prior to the pandemic, you probably had quite a lot of things um, from central government, top down, uh, into local government uh, to go and do. One of the key Benefits and I actually see these as very positive as a result of COVID. Uh, just two quick examples. Um, so when you think about the role of local government in the LFT test uh, for COVID, central government understood that local government actually we we knew and we know uh, our residents better um, than colleagues in central government. So some of the key programs, for example, testing. Uh, was actually devolved back with financial support from central government to local government, as an example. Um, secondly, the, the relationship for uh, in terms of contact tracing, uh, which again is still held nationally by central government, but again, a few months into the pandemic, recognising that there was struggling to get out of some of our own local residents, allowed local government and um, also to uh, their role in local contact tracing, which clearly in the past wouldn't have been possible, uh, which again allowed us to be able to use our own local data yeah. uh, to really support our residents. So for me, I think the shift has been very positive. The level of engagement that I see between uh, permanent secretaries and ministers and local government as at the back of COVID, being absolutely significant. Um, Prior to COVID, um, you know, even to get the relationship with the correct person uh, in terms of government uh, was difficult. Uh, During COVID, um, that's actually been made very simple and we've been working together. So credit uh, where credit is due, I see it as uh, potential was there before, but a better understanding of the work of local government by central government colleagues have been absolutely uh, been very important.
0: I see. I think that's a really important point, which a lot of people out there will miss because they will see the prime minister and the mayor of Greater Manchester going at each other on on TV. But actually, where it really matters, relationships between, for example, the chief executive of a council and the permanent secretary in one of departments. It feels very much like those relationships have been really good, which is what you're saying.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, um, so in an
0: ideal world, then, how would that relationship between central government and lo- local government work? I mean, from what you've said, it sounds like some of the building blocks are, are there already.
1: Uh, absolutely. I think for me, two things. it's about central um, sort of government giving a platform to local government uh, to be at the centre of the debate. Uh, in particular around the future of health and social care. So we've been able to demonstrate how effective our local government is. Um, and I sincerely believe that the last 10 months would have actually given central government colleagues the reassurance that local government uh, uh, is absolutely fundamental in resolving the long-standing issues around health and social care provision in this country. Um, and i sincerely hope that that's really good to give everyone the platform to work together um, in terms of resolving this long-standing issue
0: yeah no i think we all share that hope and as a final question Ade, what bit of advice would you give to someone working in the public sector or in a charity or a social enterprise even who wants to make an impact in the way that you have
1: thank, thank you andrew uh, I, I think um again um, the impact I've made, uh, just really to say, um, I share this as well with my own um, directors and with the frontline staff who have made it uh, possible. Uh, Having said that, there are a few key things that I feel any individual working in the public sector or in any people-based service must have or must do. One is about aligning your own personal values for your own profession knowing yourself well, your strengths, your weaknesses, what motivates you to get out of bed every morning. Um, For me, this will enable you to make the best possible uh, professional choice uh, in terms of whatever you decide to do. The the second uh, for me is that real sense of the value of coaching and mentoring. Um, Again, just really being able to align yourself with colleagues that have been before you learn from them in terms of things they've done really well, learn from them in terms of any of the key mistakes. So for me, I've been absolutely fortunate in my own career uh, in the last 25 years or so where I've relied heavily on experience of executives to help me to navigate um, some of the key challenges that I face um, on a daily basis. So again, I really encourage that. The, the third for me, um, and again, it's really just saying you know, work hard, be disciplined, uh, let your values uh, in terms of your own purpose drive what you want to achieve. By the same time, recognising in the case I mentioned earlier on, can it be right that our children, for example, probably are actually getting an inadequate service uh, from the local authority? So that drive in itself um, allows allowed me, in my case, to put the energy um, and the ad work, Really to provide better outcomes, uh, for our children. Um, and I think for me, that's been absolutely, uh, uh, been important in terms of making all the required changes really for one purpose to, to provide a good service, uh, to children in Bromley. So that, but those three would be my advice for anyone coming into, uh, the profession.
0: No, I think those are three pieces of advice that would be applicable to anybody, regardless of what sector they're in. So many thanks for that. Ade, thank you so much for your time.
1: Great. Thank you, Andrew, and all the very best.
0: There's a lot to reflect on from this discussion, and Ade has clearly achieved a lot in his time at Bromley, particularly within the Transforming Bromley programme and the work that has taken place to transform children's services and also to get rid of the budget deficit. I think is really admirable. Ade has a really refreshing realism about what a council and public services in general can achieve. He makes the point that it takes a village to raise a child and he's clearly very passionate about supporting communities to help each other. He made the point around adult social care, and how the council has made the decision rather than providing a brokerage service to make direct payments to people and that really empowers them empowers communities and then also at the other end of the spectrum looking at things like technology and artificial intelligence even to support independence even further i was really struck by ade's expectation that referrals to children's services will increase threefold I think that's very worrying indeed and as a day says if this is true councils are at least in the short term going to have to increase capacity to deal with the backlog i really like the very open and transparent way a day is engaged with the bromley staff team in terms of responding to the pandemic and how staff were encouraged to come forward if they wanted to play more of a role how that was facilitated by allowing people to work at weekends and take time off during the week. And finally, it's very clear that Ade loves what he does and his advice to all of us is to find something that we love and to do that. So thank you for listening and don't forget to register on the website, follow us on Twitter or on LinkedIn to never miss a future episode.